Studio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A very warm welcome once more to the airwaves of the Voice of the Cape with me, Jamil, and that's Talking Point. Well, we focused on, and uh, I just want to, you know, I've just had a look at the um, monitor in front of me and SMSs that's come through on um, what we spoke about legal action that's now being mooted for consumer goods companies. So I want to invite you while I have interviews here, I might not be interacting with you as a listener um, with the guest. Certainly send the SMS through and I will share it with the guest online on the various topics that we do touch on. Um, like, I just want to share this SMS and I need to acknowledge it. It's a, it says, first time I've heard about this, it sounds like another tax. Is this part of the Consumer Protection Act? And um, I want to take you back to what the Advocate Neville Melville said. Um, he said that uh, there's this new body that they've established um, and the the mandatory subscriptions that companies have to pay. Um, he says that their role is a key one in the consumer protection environment, yet lack of funds is severely hampering our ability to provide the service and visits. And uh, that's when the Ombud came into being in 2013. That's the office that he now holds. And he says many of the companies simply came forward, but um, out of 20,000 high turnover companies up until now, only 50 have come forward and willingly signed up for this. So they are going to make it mandatory. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. I think at the end of it, we as consumers are not going to be contributing to that, but it means that we will have more safe guards in place. So we move on. So the SMS line it's 47913 47913. When I do have these discussions you are more than welcome to send me an SMS and I'll share, share it with the guest on a line. Now corruption and fraud has been okay here we go. Corruption and fraud. Now that's been hot on our national agenda. You go to even the highest echelons of uh, power and it's there. We hear it on a daily basis. Now, some individuals with no or falsified qualifications in key and prominent roles and positions are being fished out by media and hung out to dry on social media for public scrutiny. Tonight, we are discussing what impact um, falsifying matrix certificates that often comes to the fore and CV fraud have on our society and country. I'm sure you know those white lies. <laughs> and when, where and when do we draw the line? Guy Landy joins us, principal at Ojas Bernson, Sub-Saharan Africa, and a global leader in executive search, committed to providing an integrated approach to talent management. Guy, a very good evening. Thanks for joining me on Voice of the Cape Radio. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, I know this has been ongoing, but it's, it seems to be escalating when we talk about um, CV fraud, um, matrix certificate frauds. In fact, there was a company recently, I'm certain it was somewhere in the Western Cape in the news, a company that was issuing courses or doing courses. Students were enrolling and they were issued with certificates and they found out this company wasn't even registered and there's a big buha around it. And that's one of many that's come to the fore. So let us begin at the beginning. Uh, and they're saying that one person's white lie is another person or institutions, major fraud infringements. How do we differentiate between what's right and what's wrong? 
Um, well, it's uh, it's always very difficult to tell what's <laughs> right and what's wrong until you've actually done your background checks. Uh, and that, unfortunately, is something that many, too many people don't do uh, when they're actually taking somebody on. Um, so certainly when we uh, go through the process of uh, doing a search for an executive, we go through pretty extensive background checks. But there are many people out there that just need to get someone in place quickly and they believe what they see on face value. Uh, and then it comes back down the line where it, it comes to the fore. I think where we, we we often hear that it's happening in governments, it's happening in state-owned entities, etc. That's probably also because it's, they're far more scrutinised. That the media is looking at them a lot more closely than they are uh, private organisations, um, and it does happen in the private sector just as much as it does in the public sector. Oh, no, certainly, um, and, and as I said, you know, uh, on a daily basis you can read about it. I think the very typical one was, and uh, although I'm laughing about it, it was it's extremely serious. And this was around Prasa, who suspended their chief engineer. And this after yeah. they'd bought what was it locomotives, and there was a big question mark around it. Is it yeah. is it normally the I mentioned there in the introduction? Um, that it would be media houses who uncover these things? Is, or are they in the majority for uncovering this type of fraud? Yeah, so often what you'll find is that when somebody um, in the private sector gets found out for resume fraud, it never actually makes it into the media because it's kept relatively quiet. The person is quietly shipped out, fired, made to resign um, but it doesn't get into the newspapers obviously everybody would prefer that sort of information being kept private um, unfortunately for the state-owned enterprises and and the public service um, it's very difficult to keep that sort of thing out of the public eye because they are a public organization so um, yeah it, it, it happens uh, it has big consequences and I think the important thing uh, to learn from it is that the, the necessity is to get rid of the person when they've lied because particularly at the most senior levels it's a fundamental question of integrity you know if somebody is showing that they can lie on their CV what more does that say about how else they lie and the practices that they carry out during any normal working day if Yusuf, who does my production, the two of us had a, cha a long chat around this, and um, one of the issues that uh, Yusuf came up with, and he said, you know, when we allow fraud to perpetuate, the question then is, do we feed corruption? Yes, I think we do. You know, I think if we don't, if we don't deal with it, uh, people get away with it, and they then, in some cases, will tell others that they've got away with it, and it's worth giving it a try. Um, so I think that's the danger of, of allowing corruption and fraud to become the norm, is that uh, it, it just does get perpetuated and becomes more and more common. You know, you can see this in several countries around the world where fraud has just become endemic. Uh, it's very difficult to trust anything that comes out of there. Uh, and um, that's certainly something that we'd like to avoid. So dealing with it decisively and quickly is, I think, uh, an essential part of trying to avoid corruption and fraud becoming the norm.
Guy, also when we look at, you know, one of the questions that popped up was how easy is it to commit paper fraud and what documents or certificates are consistently fraudulently tampered with? I don't know, perhaps in in your field, and uh, I'm assuming, you know, people are getting more and more... um, ingenious with how they do things and I'm, I'm assuming that you have to be up there with the best to make sure that you track it down and point it out absolutely i think um with modern technology it's far too easy to uh, to copy a certificate from harvard university or something wow. like that so you know you can you can accept a paper copy but then you do need to do your check by calling harvard and asking them to verify the qualifications which is not difficult to do. It's just a question of actually taking the time and the effort to actually go and make that happen. Um, so, yes, with modern technology, it's it's too easy for people to reproduce fraudulently uh, certificates and various other things. But with that same technology, we have the way of double-checking those things as well. So, you know, you can go onto online databases, you can go, uh, you can contact the universities and other institutions involved to make uh, to double check and to make sure that the uh, certificate you've seen with your own eyes is in fact genuine. Mm. You know, uh, my mindset is probably on people who are applying for positions. But then, um, what I said earlier on, I also do realize we have institutes that themselves are not registered, who offer all sorts of courses, and then, you know issue certificates uh, it must be in in your line of business uh, on a daily basis you know what are the bigger ones that you have to deal with well you know it's usually it's actually usually a combination of a series of small lies uh, and those those small lies are things like claiming to have completed uh, a, a, a course of study uh, and in many cases, people will say that they have an MBA, for example, but they've never actually finished their dissertation, which means that they haven't actually got an MBA until they've done that. Um, and and you, you come across that quite often. And, and people will just leave out that one word, which is uncompleted uh, on their CV. Um, so it gives the impression that, in fact, they have an MBA, whereas they should be saying that they'd studied towards an MBA, but they never finished it. We mm. see that quite a lot. The other thing that we see quite often is that people claim to have worked in a previous role for longer than they did um, because they don't want to look like they've been hopping around. Um, and, and in many cases, they would have taken three or four months between roles. Uh, and instead of ad- identifying that, they've actually extended the length of the previous role or moved the, the next role forward to make it look like it was continuous. Um, and then, uh, and then also talking about the position that they had. You know, often people will say, "Yeah, I was the sales director," when in fact they were actually only the sales manager. Oh, my word! Well, so uh, these are <laughs> these are things that we see very regularly. Yeah, you know, things people, the people get up to. Wow. It uh, never ceases to amaze me, guy. I need you to stay online. I need to go for a very short break, and we'll continue.
Stereo. Welcome back once more, still online with me, Guy Lundy. He's the principal at Odges Bernson, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. It's a global leader in executive search, committed to providing an integrated approach to talent management. Guy, you know, the question that I, I, I have to pose is, is there any truth that the qualification bar is lowered in society because of ethics and corruption? Um, if I understand your question correctly, you mean that we, uh, if, if we are in fact uh, comparable to uh, to elsewhere in the world, would would that be understanding uh, the question right? That's correct, yes, guy. I would say we are. Um, I think certainly our our stronger institutions uh, in South Africa are very much on par with institutions around the world, um, and and I think that uh, the the kind of education that people are getting here is is very comparable so i don't think that that's a problem um i think that the the problem is just people obviously struggle to get into these institutions and when they're there they often uh, struggle to stay there because they don't necessarily make it through the whole way through all of the courses and that's where it becomes a problem that uh, you know it, it's it's seen as important to have actually achieved the uh, the certification rather than um having just and, and not having completed it. So people that's when people then start to say, yes, I did complete it, when in actual fact they might not have. Mm. Now, okay, the focus would be, <laughs> is Mrs. coming through here, on South African leadership. I knew this was going to come up here. Um, that's from local to national <laughs> leader. I, I don't know, although those, uh, let me pose the question in this way. When it comes to government and that, I'm certain... You know, they would have uh, the ducks in a row on who checks out uh, qualifications and that. Is it something that uh, you ever get involved with? Yeah, we do. Um, so we, with our clients, we always recommend that they have a full background check. So there are various organizations, um, international organizations like LexisNexis and various others um, that will actually go and do those checks. They They do credit checks, they do criminal checks, they do... Uh, qualification checks, etc. It costs a bit of money and it takes a little bit of time, but um, it certainly uh, saves a lot of pain uh, down the line. What we also do is that we do active reference checks, both with the references that people have recommended to us, and then also we'll speak, we'll do soft referencing, we call it, where we speak to people who have, we know have worked with these people in the past who may not have uh, been on their list of referees. Um, so it's important to get a, a, an unbiased opinion uh, from people who have worked with the candidate that you're talking to. Mm. Um, so we do we do quite a lot of uh, of, of conversations with with referees, um, getting their opinions in addition to just pure um, uh, factual reference checks as well in terms of qualifications and so on. Mm. Now we know for a fact, guy. It's now been for quite a while. It's hit the headlines. There would be those saying, "Well, it's opposition parties trying to score points," you know, often pointing the finger at uh, some of our top leaders and uh, saying, "You know, who's checked their credentials, their CVs? Um, are they able to hold that uh, or those offices up there?" Uh, this also, do you ever get involved with that? Do you get called up? 
Not not so much with with politicians. Mm. I mean, I think the the difficulty with the with the political environment, and you know, I lump many of our state institutions into that space as well. A lot of those appointments are political appointments. Um, they they get made uh, by a politician who wants somebody trusted nearby, um, who they can trust and work closely with because they've known them in the past, uh, and so they they possibly overlook some of the. Uh, harsher checks that uh, need to go into ensuring that people actually have the qualifications and so on that they say they have because they want to be closer to uh, to somebody that they can actually trust. Uh, and that uh, possibly clouds the judgment in terms of, um, you know, let's be completely rational and independent about doing these checks. I think that's the difficulty with the uh, with, with not only the political environment, it also happens in, in the private sector as well where the CEO wants to have a financial director, for example, that they've worked with before, that they know and that they trust, um, and you know, they therefore overlook going into much deeper checks to make sure that the person that they thought they knew is in fact the same person. Mm. Wow. Thought-provoking, very, very thought-provoking, and uh, I suppose you've got to be up there and the best in your game to to pick up these trends. Um, Guy, just as a, a last one, you know, um, when I do discover I'm the big CEO of the company and I, I realize I've got a staff member here with fraudulent document uh, documentation that's been working for us, probably just started or been for a while. This comes to the fore. Uh, many would uh, many say, yeah, but most of the times these guys just get kicked out and they just go to and do it with the next company. What are, what is the norm? What should be happening to those who are found guilty? Sure, that's a tough question. <laughs> would it could, um, let me yeah. let me make it easier? If I do come across that, um, some would say to me, well, it's easier just get rid of him or her, and you know, um, it's going to be less time consuming. Yeah. Would that be the right thing to do? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a tough question because you do also have a, a, a duty to society to make sure that the person doesn't then go and perpetuate the same lie at their next role when they've actually been discovered at, uh, at the role that they're in. And all you really want to do is to get them off their hands with as little trouble as possible. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, if you have the... The conscience and, and the level of integrity as a CEO who's found somebody out, it is really your duty to, uh, to if you get, certainly if you get approached by the next employer, to tell the truth about that. Um, we've, you know, we've had uh, situations in the past where um, there have been people who have been accused of things um, and have kept it uh, and have kept it quiet in their interview process and on their CVs. Uh, and we found it out through speaking to their previous uh, bosses. Mm. You know, the difficulty there is why didn't you share with us that this was an issue? Um, even if you are innocent, you could have uh, warned us that this was something that was going to come through. Um, so, you know, that does then automatically raise questions around that person's own honesty and integrity. Um, but, yeah, as a, as a CEO who fires somebody for, for lying on their CV or for having fraudulent documentation, I do think it's their um, moral duty to make sure that whoever uh, gets settled with them afterwards is, is aware of the fact that this is a problem. Mm. 
Guy, I'm going to have to leave it on that note. Guy Landy, principal at Odges Bernstein, Sub-Saharan Africa. Guy, thanks very much for your time. Pleasant evening, Eitzah. You're welcome. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye. Well, and all of a sudden,